Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Today we are wrapping up our series, Legacy in the Making, where we are talking about the legacy of the church. And we call it Legacy in the Making because the legacy is still being written. We are the caretakers of the church in our generation, and so we can continue to follow God's way. We can continue to glorify him and leave behind a legacy for the next generation that will glorify him. Uh, And we've been talking a lot about the difference between the temple model of relating to God and the Jesus model of relating to God. And there was really nothing wrong with the temple model in its appropriate time um, during the Old Covenant. It was that, that was during its appointed time. The problem is when New Testament churches, New Covenant churches, try to add some of the elements of the Old Temple model back into the New Jesus model. And so in the, the, the Temple model, we'll explain this one more time, in the temple model, and this is true for the, the Old Covenant, and it's also true for every world religion today, okay, every religion. In the temple model, there's always, a sacred, there's always sacred places, right? It could be a temple, it could be a city, whatever. But the sacred places are where the uh, adherents of that religion believe that their God resides, okay? And then... Within the sacred places, there's always sacred texts, and the sacred texts are very, very complicated, and they uh, tell the adherents of that religion how they're supposed to live, and because they're so complicated, they need sacred men to tell them what that actually means for them. And we talked about how in this model, it gets it, the sacred men abuse their power and authority because they're the ones who can... who are basically the final authority on the adherence on how to live out what they think would please their God, right? Like, like when, when a sacred man in a certain religion can say, you know, go strap on a suicide vest and kill a bunch of people and you're going to please your God. You know, that's a lot of power and authority that, that can be abused. And so, and, and so you have the sacred places, the sacred texts, and the sacred men um, who, who instruct the sincere followers. And for... For all of us who have ever had any experience with religion, this is the, the model we had to follow to get to God, right? Um, and so, and again, this was fine and good when, when the way to relate to God was through the law, right? There was the temple. God actually resided in the temple. Um, there were sacred men who were priests who had a specific job. They went into the Holy of Holies, the, the, most, the most holy place on the appointed time, according, and they, they would do it according to the rituals they had to follow, and they would make atonement for all the people. That was the, way, that was the system God had set up. And so it was fine and good for that time. But then Jesus comes along, and he completely destroyed the temple model. He completely destroyed it so that he could establish a new way of relating to God, which was the new covenant, or the Jesus model. Jesus completely destroyed the temple model to make way for the new covenant. And he did this by fulfilling the law for us. He came and fulfilled the whole law, but he didn't just do it for himself. He, he did it for us. He credited, for those who believe in him, he took his righteousness, or God took his righteousness, and credited it to us. So when God sees us, he sees 
not how good we are. He sees the perfect righteousness of Christ when he looks at us. God credited Jesus' righteousness to us because he fulfilled the law for us. And then he gave his life as a sacrifice. He stood in our place and met the demands of the law because the demand of the breaking the law was death. And all of us had death coming, coming for us. But Jesus stood in our place and, and, and took our penalty upon himself. He paid the price for us. And then he secured eternal life for us by rising from the dead three days later. Because he rose, we, we, wrote, we, we will get to rise and we get to hope for eternal life. And then he sent, and then after he ascended into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to come and live in our hearts. Right? The Holy Spirit was, is, is sent to live inside of us, to, to lead us and guide us through this new life under the freedom of the new covenant, the Jesus model. Okay? And so by doing all this, he effectively dismantled the temple model. There's no need for a sacred place because the Holy Spirit lives in each one of us. God doesn't reside in a certain place. He, li- he lives in each one of us. We're the temple of God. There's no need for complicated sacred texts that need to be explained by sacred men because Jesus made it, he simplified it for us. He said, he said that, um, um, that we... That the entire law, all, all 613 verses, and everything that the prophets ever said has, is simplified by two commands. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. But then Jesus went on to simplify it even more. He says, a new command I give you, this is right before he gets arrested, love your neighbor, or love others as I have loved you, right? Which is a whole new thing than loving others as, as you love yourself. And then he goes on to say, oh, and by the way, when you do that, it proves that you're loving me. It proves you're loving God, right? So Jesus completely dismantled um, the temple model. There's no need for sacred men under the new covenant because the Holy Spirit lives inside all of us who believe, and we have the righteousness of God, right? Seriously, do you guys really understand that you're just as righteous as the Pope? I mean, you think about someone who might culturally be the most righteous person, right? Um, but that's even assuming that the Pope is trusting Jesus, in, in Jesus, right? If he's not, then you're far more righteous than he is. Because why? Because you have the righteousness of Jesus, right? Because you believe in him and his righteousness is credited to you, right? So there's, and then Jesus also told us there's no need for anyone to teach you what is true. Again, dismantling the temple model. There's no need for these sacred men to tell you what's true. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit living inside you. And the Holy Spirit bears witness in our spirit if if what we hear is true. He didn't say we didn't need teachers. But he said you don't need teachers to tell you what is true. Because you have the Holy Spirit in you. That means that the the sacred men are no longer the final authority. Right? Um, Okay. So Jesus completely, um, oh, and then there, under the new, the new Covenant, there's no need for sacred places because there was, um, where, where only the sacred men could go um, because the Holy Spirit is taking up residence inside us. And God beautifully and violently and, and, and miraculously 
illustrated this for us. Um, the moment that Jesus died on the cross. In Matthew, um, let me just give you this point. God literally ripped the temple curtain in two, signaling the end of the temple model of relating to him. God literally ripped the, the temple curtain in two, signaling the end of the temple model of relating to him. Matthew 27, 50 and 51. Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. This is the moment that Jesus died on the cross. And then verse 51. At that moment, the curtain of the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, I don't know if you've ever done any research on this, on this curtain, but this was the, the big curtain that separated the most holy place from the holy place and, and further out into the courtyard of the temple, right? And so only the high priest could go in there at a certain time after doing certain rituals to go and atone for the people, and he had to, to use the, the blood of a lamb to, to, as part of that ritual, right? But this is a giant... Heavy curtain, right? This wasn't just some veil. This wasn't some thin curtain. This was, um, if you read some of the first century literature about this, it's, it's the width of a man's hand. That's how thick it was. And it was 40 cubits tall, which meant it was about 60. The Bible says it was 40 cubits tall, which is 60 feet high, and 20 cubits wide, which is 30 feet wide. And that was... And that was the curtain that was just ripped in two. I mean, this, there's no way anybody could have done this. Only God could have done this. Um, and, and in that, he's signaling the end of the temple model. And in this miraculous act, God is saying, it's finished. Right? The temple model is over. We are moving on to a new thing. We're moving on to a new way of relating to me through my son who just gave his life for you. Temple model's done. Now remember, the last couple of weeks, <clears throat> I said that Jesus eliminated the temple model so that we could stop focusing on our vertical relationship with God and start focusing on our horizontal relationships with each other. Because remember, in the temple model, and we all know this by experience, in the temple model of relating to God, you're always like, God... How are we doing, right? Am I okay? I mean, have I, am I praying enough? Am I going to church enough? You know, am I doing all enough to make you happy? Um, do you love me? You know, are we good here, right? We're always focused on trying to please and earn his attention, his love, and his acceptance, right? Um, that's what your relationship with God looks like in the temple model, and that's the way it is in every religion, right? But Jesus paid the price to give us all of God's love and all of his acceptance and all of right standing with him. Notice what the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter into heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Again, remember, in the temple model, the sacred man had to use the blood of a lamb 
so that he could enter the most holy place in the temple and make atonement on behalf of the people. But because Jesus shed his blood for everyone, the temple model's over. There's no need for a sacred man to do that, right? Um, Verse 20. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. So Jesus paid the price to make us perfectly pure, perfectly acceptable in God's sight. He paid the price to give us all of God's love, acceptance, and right standing. And he did this so so that we could stop focusing on our vertical relationship with God and start focusing on loving others. He did this so we could stop focusing on our relationship with God and start focusing on loving others. Your relationship with God can't get any better. Do you realize that? What Jesus did for you, you can't make it any better. And all Jesus asks is that we stop focusing on that and start focusing on each other. Listen how the writer of Hebrews continues to explain this. Because the next few verses are our response to what he's just said. Okay, verse 23. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. God can be trusted to keep his promise that we have eternal life. That that Jesus' sacrifice was enough to pay for your sin. And that we are in perfect right standing with God. Then verse 24, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good deeds. Why? Because that's what we're supposed to be focused on, right? We're not just to be focused on a relationship with God anymore. It's done. It's better than it's ever going to be. It's, it's Jesus made it the best it'll ever be. We're supposed to focus on our relationships with each other. Instead of spending all our time focusing on if we're good with God, we instead hold tightly to the hope we affirm, right? Because God can be trusted to keep his promise so that we can turn all of our attention towards each other. And I would even say this, based on verse 24, that when we see each other operating this way, where we're focused on trying to please God and get his attention and all that, if we see each other kind of operating in the temple model, that we just sort of encourage another each other towards love and good deeds. Not earning love, right? You can't earn anymore. You got it all. That we're to encourage each other, just move our attention back to where it's supposed to be. And then verse 25, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Isn't that awesome? 
I mean, that passage in Hebrews 10 takes on whole new meaning when we understand that Jesus eliminated the temple model and that we now operate in the Jesus model. That all of our attention is supposed to be focused on our love for each other, not on trying to earn God's love for ourselves. Right? Because we already have it. Now, what I want to do, we're going to do something a little different today. I want to um, do exactly what verse 24 says. Right here and now. Right? Verse 24 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another toward acts of love and good deeds. And there are some of you who have shared with me how God has led you down a path towards loving people more and how you've taken steps to grow in that. And so I've asked a few of you guys to come on up and share briefly on how God's doing that and encourage the rest of us. (laughs) Because we need to be encouraged, right? We need this. This is the most important thing. This is where all of our focus should be. And so, um, Wade, are you ready, bud? Okay, we're going to have Wade come on up, and um, he's going to share first. Let me grab a mic for him. The red one. Okay. Uh, Paintball was fun yesterday. (laughs) I was the oldest guy out on the field. Billy wasn't there. (laughs) So. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, I did make Johnny surrender, so, but he shot me right here, and I got a bruise. <laughs> so got a couple of bruises. I got shot in the heart twice, too, and, and uh, luckily I had on my insulated hunting suit. It was a great day to be wearing my insulated hunting suit. Thank God it wasn't 100 degrees outside. I probably would have fallen over from dehydration. But anyway, um, I digress. I just wanted to get that in about I made Johnny surrender, so... <laughs> He's not here to defend himself either. So, anyway, um, Jim asked me, called me yesterday, and asked me to speak, and and I'm more than honored to do that. And I'll try to get done in three to four minutes, Jim. I I haven't really practiced anything. I just have some broad thoughts about uh, where my journey has been the last year or so. I think most of you know. Uh, some of you weren't here when my mom passed away, and and uh, you know when when my mom passed away, I really felt God. My mom was the epitome of who Christ was, okay? And she loved people unconditionally, and people saw that in my mom. And she spurred me on because I saw that unconditional love, not just to me as her son, but to others out, out, out in, in, in the world, too. And, uh, you know, I, I gave my mom's eulogy, and I thought it was interesting, too, Jim, that you... Last week, you talked about uh, the love chapter of Corinthians, and, and uh, it was Mother's Day. And uh, kind of hard for me to get through that part, but, you know, it was Mother's Day. And here, here Jim was talking about the same verses I had talked about in my mom's eulogy. So that's, that's been a, a lot of what my journey is. And then I also, you know, Jim, Jim uh, was preaching, and I, I, I kind of chastised him a little bit yesterday. And Jim and I were always on the same team. Otherwise, I probably would have popped him a couple of times just, just for <laughs> talking about me while I wasn't here. But uh, we listened to the podcast, but it was good. And I'm just kidding. So uh, anyway, I just thought it was really, really interesting about what happened there and from that part because it did, did spur me to remember how I'm supposed to love and how I'm supposed to love Dorothy, too, and, and, and 
what that unconditional love is supposed to look like. And when you ever start to wonder what that unconditional love looks like, just go read the love chapter again and look, you know. It's kind, it's gentle, it's not prideful, it's not boastful, it's not jealous, you know. And if, you, if you're experiencing those things, you need to throw that away because that's what God is telling us about on how we're supposed to love. So I encourage you to go and read that love chapter uh, when that happens. The other thing, too, that I wanted to talk about, because uh, Jim, when he talked, he said, you know, Wade's, Wade's one of the people who's grown about loving people. And I see that through pub theology. And, you know, I hadn't really thought of it in that manner. And uh, so when Jim asked me to talk yes, uh, yesterday, I, I, I started reading the word and I started going through. And he told me he was going to talk about Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. And I, and, and I looked at that and I said, you know, how do I spur others to love? And I think really, and Jim, you talked about this in the sermon this morning. So, you know, Jesus gave us two commandments. He gave us the commandment to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, right? And if we're loving God um, like that, then what's it mean to us? And and I, I've always, over the last year or two, I'm like, God, why? You know, why do you want me in heaven? Okay, I don't want to go to heaven just to avoid the flames of hell. Okay, yeah, that's a good thing, but but... I, that's not that shouldn't be my motivation. My motivation should be why, and, and and you know about almost a year ago, my grandson was born, and we were had the privilege of being there when when Spencer Kyle was born, and I remember holding him and saying, "Wow, I get to do it all over again." Okay, but then I also had kind of this pain in my heart because they were living in Arkansas, and here I was back in Texas, and I wasn't going to get to spend a lot of time with Spencer Kyle. And, but think about it from God's perspective of how we are separated from him, from, he, from heaven. He wants us with him, okay? Just like I want Spencer Kyle here with me as much as I can. And praise God, they moved back to Texas, and I get to see him a lot. I'm going to miss him. I'm, I'm leaving on a business trip for this entire week, and I'm really going to miss my grandson. I'll miss my wife, and I'll miss my family, but I'm really going to miss my grandson. And that's how God is with us in terms of how he loves us. He wants us in heaven with him. He, it's not that, that we need to get to heaven, okay? He wants us there with him. And that's why he came and he died. And he tells us to love him the way he loves us. And that is with every part of our being. So I lost my place. I've got to put my passcode back in. Okay, and, and then, then the second part of that commandment, the second commandment, is we, we need to love our neighbors as ourselves, okay? And I'm going to break that down into two, and, and these are going to be the two points I want to make to you guys. Because when we love our neighbors as ourselves, how many of y'all are happy with the way things are in our country right now? Wow, nobody raised their hand. I'm, I'm shocked. I'm kidding. Um, I think we're all a little bit angry and we're all a little bit concerned and we're all frustrated with where we are as our country. But what God's been showing me about that and about the unconditional love, too, is that we've gotten away from the part of treating our neighbor as ourselves. We've gotten away. We've let petty disagreements separate us from each other. We let our anger 
get the best of us. We let our, our judgmental nature uh, push people aside and not show them the kind of love that God has showed us. Okay? Our whole political debate is, is, is built with vitriol, and it's not built with respect and common courtesy anymore. We've gotten away from loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. And that's part of what I think is wrong with our country today. A major part of what is wrong with our country today is that we don't love each other as we love ourselves. You may be a Democrat. You may be a Republican. At the end of the day, we're all God's children, and we need to love each other in the way that God loves us. And we can have disagreements. Loving each other doesn't mean we don't disagree. I mean, of those that are married in here, how many of us have disagreements with our spouse? <laughs> okay, but that doesn't mean I don't love Dorothy any less. Okay, but we got to treat each other with respect and with love. And then, lastly, I think the final part of that verse is something that God's really been speaking to me about um, because I see a lot of people struggle with with loving yourself. You have to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what the verse says. And there's a lot of people today that have been lied to from the enemy of saying, you're not good enough, okay? And you have sinned, and you're not good enough. And you have uh, don't look right, you're not good enough. And, folks, if we don't love ourselves, then, then we can't love others. It's impossible for us to love others. We have to love ourselves. And, you know, some people say they listen to the enemy, too, and say, oh, well, that's conceit, that's narcissism. You know, you know what? Conceit and narcissism are the exact opposite of loving yourself, okay? Yes, it's put forward that that's what it is, but that's, un- again, a lie from the enemy about that. So I want to encourage you today, if you have trouble loving yourself, look at how God looks at you, okay? He went to the cross for you. He died on the cross so that you can come into fellowship with him. Okay? He didn't do that just for a whim. He did that because he wants to be with you. And he did that because he loves you. And you need to see that he loves you for who you are. Okay? And he see, he made you in his image. Not in the image of anybody else, not in your mom's image, not in your dad's image, not in your brother's image, not in your sister's image, not in your friend's image. He made you in your image, in his image, I'm sorry. He made you in his image. He loves you deeply and, and, and wants to be in fellowship with you, and that's why he did what he did. And, you know, I'm going to close with this, and, and I talked a little bit about, I heard, I heard something this week that gave me some hope. And Donald Trump was being Donald Trump. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make any political statements here. I'm just trying to illustrate something to you, okay? Donald Trump was being Donald Trump. He called the, the leader of, of the Southern Baptist Convention an evil man. Do you know what the leader from the Southern... You know how he responded? Does anybody in here... Did anybody else hear this? Okay. He responded, he said... That's exactly right, Donald, and that's why I need Jesus. And that's how we have to look at it. Even though we may be wicked in God's eyes because of what we've done in our lives, he still loves us, and that's why we need Jesus. And so that's what I'm going to leave you guys with.
is to love each other the way that, that God intended us to love each other. And when you start looking down the path and you're saying, hmm, things aren't going right, focus back on what God said in Corinthians. And I'll, leave, I'll let you talk. Okay, next person. Thanks. Chair um, is Johnny's better half. Kim? I will not go paintballing. Just throwing that out there. Um, <laughs> I don't have the pain tolerance. Okay. Um, well, for me, um, I think I even said some. I think it might have been the end of last year. I can't remember when we got up and I felt like God had really put on my heart a lot um, just how to love people and being others focused instead of so focused on myself. And so, of course, like he does, he kept on that with me in my heart and just in, in being with people. And so um, for me, the the biggest, I guess, group or, or, or people that God has put on my heart um, are those with hideable ailments. And what I mean is, so a lot of you know I lived in Haiti for three years and was drawn to go help um, people overseas. And um, and then Johnny shared a story recently about, and this isn't me bragging, this is totally part of the testimony, is um, being so, having my heart broken by seeing a, a homeless man in a wheelchair who had no legs um, and was missing fingers. And, I mean, just so many things, and I was just... Like, I was just so upset, and and God used that, and, and even <laughs> bringing it back to my mind, it was like, you see that, and that's easy to love someone like that. It's easy to go to Haiti and, and want to serve people who are, are poor in another country. But what's hard is, is your everyday encounters with people who have hidden ailments, or, or ailments that that we consider just culturally like, oh, well, that's depression. That's not the same thing as, as cancer. So just stop being depressed. <laughs> or addiction, well, why are you addicted to that? Like, why, would, why can't you just stop, you know? And, and that, you know, just even in my own family with my brother and... <laughs> Just addiction and learning to love and see him like <laughs> how Jesus sees us when we have those hidden ailments. He sees the amputated legs because that's how our spirit is with depression and, and self-harm and, and addiction and anxiety. We have to see people with those things, including ourselves, it's just, it's, it's, it's so much easier to look at a physical ailment and feel sorry for that person and to judge uh, the hidden ailment when, like I said, Jesus sees the same thing. He sees a person who is in need of healing, whether it's, like I said, depression, which, which totally debilita debilitates someone. And so just as, as I've even dealt with depression in my own life and with friends who have depression, just just understanding that it's not just, hey, 
make choices that change your circumstance. You know, I think being an American, that's what we do. We go, well, you can change your destiny. That's the great thing about being in the U.S. You can change what you're, where you're headed. So just get a job. Get up and get a job. Stop being lazy, you know. And that's not, you know, people aren't just depressed or struggling with, with those everyday things because they want to or because they're just lazy and don't want to get a job, you know. And so that's something God has really shown me just in, in through different relationships of, of all of us could do that a little bit better, of saying, okay, I can't just look at someone as a sum of their decisions. There's so much. And the more we actually spend time to hear someone's story and know what are the things in their life that, you know, brought them to where they are. Maybe they weren't raised with parents who were believers who taught them how to deal with the issues of life from a biblical perspective. Can you imagine? I mean, for me, I grew up more or less in a Christian home. We sort of, you know, went through childhood understanding who Jesus was and didn't go to church till high school. But but I understood my parents did teach me how to work through things with the Lord and with scripture as my foundation. And if you didn't have that as a child and you became a Christian later, you're learning that now. And that's hard. And so God's put that on my heart to love people through those things. And not that we're not responsible for our choices. We are. And, and everything is a choice. But more importantly, we, especially as believers, are responsible for how we love people, period. So whether we think their choice is terrible and they're destroying themselves, we still have to love. Whether we think it's laziness or whatever judgment we're passing on someone or weakness, how are you still addicted to that? That's weakness. Well, we have to love and we have to see them exactly how Jesus sees them. So... That's what I wanted to share. Sorry for falling apart. I think we're, Johnny and I are the similar, similar in that, just falling apart, crying when we talk. But anyway, so that's, there you go. Thanks, Kim. Um, David uh, Stillwell is going to share next, and he uh, shared a story with me um, earlier this year. Maybe it was late last year, I don't remember, but... Um, when he told me, it was just amazing how God was uh, speaking through him, and um, I'd like for him to encourage you as well. Don't be a Jonah. <laughs> no, seriously, that's that's kind of what, you know, as, as, as Jim asked me to do this, my first response was, um, <clears throat> hey, Lord, no, not, not this one, right? Some other subject. Right. And it's um, I, I grew up in the temple. Right. I grew up in that temple system. I was born into the Episcopal Church. And it's amazing how in the church in America. How Christians don't know what they're in the middle of often. Right. And so I loved going to that place. I loved the priest. I loved as a kid having, you know, when you would go up for communion, you wouldn't take communion. They'd bless you. Right. And so you'd go off into the week and we had the sacred texts and we had that temple. And so I grew up in that environment. Um, and about 16 or so, I'm hanging out with some buddies. Uh, you know, our lifestyle was we embraced sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I mean, that's who we were, right? And so um, we would stay up late at night drinking or whatever, and, um, and we'd get into these debates. And one night, one of my buddies said, the only reason you believe what you believe is because that's what you were taught to believe. 
and um, I went home, and I was in my room working out, and I thought, you know, um, there's only one way to know if that's true or not, and that's to stop believing what I believe. And so I began making a conscious decision that every time my moral compass said to go one way, I would intentionally go the other. And, um, and so for about 18 months, I lived my life as based as it could be lived. And fortunately, God brought me out of that. <clears throat> and there was a reason, in retrospect, why he allowed me to go through that. And it's because throughout my life, I was going to meet people who that's the life they lived, right? Um, now, what was interesting is when I gave my life to Christ at that time, my buddies, my best friends, my family mocked me. They mocked God. They mocked everything about that, that conversion. And so I, I left them, right? I didn't stay in that place and minister to them. I didn't try to share with them what Christ was doing in my life. I turned my back, right? They're going to mock God. I don't want anything to do with them. Um, and, you know, I, I, I thought I wanted to be that guy, you know, the Isaiah 6, 8 guy that said, here I am, Lord, send me, right? That's the guy I wanted to be. Um, you know, it's early, you know, earlier in Hebrews, we see Christ's response. It says, I am here to do your will, Lord, right? That should be our response. I'm here to do your will. And what I've come to understand is that wherever Christ has us in life, there's a purpose for that place. And we can't run from that place. And that's the don't be a Jonah thing, right? Because that is my MO, right? When I hit, um, if Johnny were to say, hey, man, I got to dig a ditch and it's going to be backbreaking for three days, sign me up, right? If somebody says, hey, we got some families to feed, whatever, sign me up, right? Like Kim's saying, those easy things to identify, sign me up. I'll serve in those ways all day long. But bring somebody in my life who mocks God, who mocks me and mocks my belief, write them off. Right, that's that's my mo. So, when Jim asked me, you know, I'm I'm in the middle of a period of life right now where um, I'm sitting up on the hillside, angry that God is, you know, showing mercy on Nineveh. Right? There's a guy in my life. Um, this is what I was sharing with Jim about a year and a half ago. I reached a point where I was just miserable with this guy. He's a business partner. I have to live with him, and I wanted out. And I began praying, Lord, release me from this thing. I can't tolerate this guy anymore. And, um, and God's response was, no, no, I have you here for a reason. And it's him, right? I need you to love him. And I'm like, not that guy, <laughs> right? That is not the guy I want to love, right? Um, so I, I just want to share kind of a, testimony, you know, the testimony you want to give, I want to give is that one of victory, right? And what I'm, what I'm probably sharing with you is a testimony of being in the struggle of loving God, right? But there are testimonies of victory that have brought me to a place where I can struggle here. Um, when I, when I had first really begun to grow in my faith in Christ, I found myself in the Episcopal Church and I knew that I wasn't growing the way I wanted to grow. And so I began to pray that the Lord would show me a different way. And so through a job transfer, he moved me to Little Rock, Arkansas. And I got connected with um, uh, Little Rock Bible Church, a fellowship Bible church in Little Rock. And it was a great thing. And soon after I got there, I met a guy that I, put, I began playing golf with twice a week. And this guy, we had a regular standing golf session. He and I were becoming friends. Well, somewhere into my new church... 
I show up, and we have a bulletin every week. And in the bulletin, there was a little ad, and it said, Help for Homosexuals. My, my wife loves when I tell this story. I usually call it, Have I ever told you about my homosexual ministry? She's like, Stop saying that to people. Um, but so I see this ad, and it stirs something in me. And I was like, Oh, yeah, no. You know? And I put the bulletin, I set it down. Next weekend, I open up the bulletin, I see that ad again, Helpful Homosexuals. And it's, it's a number to sign up to come out and be a part. And something is stirring in me, and I am getting mad about it, right? Third week, I read it, and I hear the stir. So finally, after like the fourth week of seeing this thing, I'm walking to the parking lot, and I'm, I'm going, Lord, I will not. Do not show me that again. I don't want anything, you know, I mean, I'm adamant. I will stop going to this church if he keeps moving me by showing me that ad. Next week, I show up, the ad's gone. And I was like, thank goodness. Uh... Two or three days later, I'm sitting in the car after my golf game with a buddy. And this buddy says, Dave, can I share something with you? And I was like, yeah, man. You know, God, I've been playing golf with for six, eight months. And he shares with me that he's been struggling with homosexuality for I don't know how many years. And all I want to do is get out of that car, right? And I'm just going, Lord, how do you do this? Right? How do you orchestrate our lives in this way? How, do you, how am I the man who says, send me? But then when you call me, I'm like, to Tarshish I go. Right? Um, and so that's, that's really, I think, what I wanted to share. And, and just so you guys know, over the next probably six months, four more guys were brought into my life that were struggling with homosexuality. And so... Um, And there was a very powerful moment where God grew me in that because he revealed something about me where I was condemning them. And he's saying, my loving kindness is long-suffering, right? My grace on you, right? I mean, I have showed you tremendous amount of grace in the things that you've struggled through. Um, So, you know, I, I guess ultimately the message is, when that happens, when you've got that calling, when God's bringing somebody into your life that he needs you to love, and it's not somebody you want to love, um, don't be a Jonah, right? Respond the way that he wants you to respond. Um, I want to share just one other quick encouragement. Um, we... Um, We've lived in our neighborhood for 13 years now, and um, we had a neighbor behind us. Um, when we first got there, he was married with a kid, and um, we um, had a little run-in with him because he thought my son was involved in something at the school with his daughter. And so he, one day he's banging on my door, and he's mad as all get out, and his daughter's like hiding behind him, and he starts lighting into me about something my son did. And she's like, Daddy, it's not him. <laughs> and that was like my first meeting with this guy. And, then, and ever since then, um, you know, as, as Sean grew older, he was really drawn to this guy because this guy was in, he, he, he had been in the military. He had really cool cars. Uh, he had a really cool Camaro and a motorcycle. And he had a, a, those little two-seater BMWs. Uh, so Sean was really drawn to him, and, and he would always go talk to him when, when he saw him outside. And, and um, 
and I would always try to out, reach out to him too. And uh, for three years in a row, I, I invited him to our um, um, fantasy football, our neighborhood fantasy football league that I started. And I always had a heart for the guy, and, and went because he he was married with a kid when we first moved there. But then his he ended up getting divorced and estranged from his wife, and his kid was gone, and he was all alone. Um, and but he was, you know, we I saw him every once in a while, um, and he was always very meticulous with his lawn. And um, it was. I guess about the middle of April, we started to notice that his lawn was starting to grow, and he wasn't taking care of it. And and then on the is April 29th, um, one of his coworkers came to the house looking for him because they hadn't seen him at work for like 10 days. He went to his neighbor, which is also across the alley from me, and. Um, Talked to him, and he called me, after asking if I'd seen him, and and the police came over and talked to me and asking if I'd seen him, and they ended up breaking into the house to do a well check because they couldn't find or get, contact him in any way, and they found him dead at the bottom of the stairs, and it really kind of shook me, you know, that that I would, that, I mean, I don't think, you know, we I, I reached out to him as much as he as I could. He was always very closed. He would never respond to any invitations and I don't know that anything would have changed but it just it still kind of shook me you know that someone that close proximity wise could pass away and I not know it for 10 days right um, and so it it really started a discussion among my wife and I about how do we love our neighbors more right how do we reach out to those around us more and um and I've always been sort of, I've always kind of leaned that direction, which is the whole reason I started the uh, um, fantasy football league for our neighbors, because uh, it, it got the guys together and, and some of the wives got connected, and it was pretty cool. And um, and so I, we, we just became a lot more, since then we've become just a lot more focused on paying attention to what's going on with our neighbors. And... Um, and then, and so, you know, I found out just the other day, I just texted one of my neighbors just to see how things were going and found out he was actually uh, at Scottish Rite Hospital with his daughter that day. She was having an eight-hour surgery to correct um, scoliosis and um, told him that we were praying for him and, and offered to bring him lunch. And they were just so blessed that we would even think that way. Um, and so... I just want to encourage you guys, we're so busy, and it's so easy to just focus on me and mine, right? It's so easy to just be so internally and, and inward focused that we don't even notice what's going on around us. And I just want to encourage you guys to look around and notice and see, even pray, ask God, <laughs> You know, I think of all the things we can pray, probably the best prayer we could pray is, is exactly what Jesus said. How can I love people like you love me? Show me how. Give me, give me examples. Open my eyes. Help me to see how can we, what, can we love people better. I have no doubt God's going to answer that prayer probably more than we expected. <laughs> um, 
but I just want to sort of close with this. Um, you know, we, like David said, most of us have grown up in the temple model, right? We have spent most of our life trying to get all this stuff right, right? To correct this and correct that and stop doing this and stop doing that and start doing this more and try to Im- implement this more, all to get God's attention. Can we just stop doing that? Do you really believe that Jesus' sacrifice was enough? Do you really believe that you are the righteousness of God in Christ? Do you really believe God loves you and accepts you just like you are? He's adopted you as his very own kid. Do you really believe that? Why do we keep wanting to go back to earn what we already have? Right? Why? Why do we do that? Let's just put that away. Shall we? Can we do that? And start focusing on the one thing that Jesus asked us to do. A new command I give you. Love one another as I've loved you. Let's pray.